I have a feeling at the next wedding in which I get to read that scripture, I'm going to start it with, if I speak in the words of mortals of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong, and in my head's going to come the picture of Bonnie Reichenbach with her pot lid, banging, banging, banging. It's so good. So you all keep that in your mind as well. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever read a book called The Secret Life of Bees. Anybody read that book? It's by a woman named Sue Monk Kidd, written in 2002, also made into a movie. But I read the book, and there's this moment in the book uh, that just really stuck itself into my heart. The book is set in the 1950s in the South, and it's a beautiful story of loss and redemption, kind of amazing grace put into story form, with lessons about race and women's empowerment and featuring a whole lot of honey, because bees, right? So at the center of the book is a young woman, a teenager named Lily, and she feels utterly lost and alone. Her mother is dead, and her father, T-Ray, is an angry, bitter, calloused man who works Lily too hard on their peach farm and really just yells at her. Through a series of events, Lily runs away from her father and finds herself in South Carolina among a group of a family of African-American women who are beekeepers. Now, despite the title, The Secret Life of Bees, the real mystery of the book is not about bees, it's about love. Lily, who grew up motherless and abused so long by her father, she lives in the honey house of this family for several weeks, and finally then, there comes this moment in the story where she has to make a confession to the head beekeeper, a woman named August, about the terrible secret of her life. Trembling, she managed to stammer out, manages to stammer out the truth that she, Lily, is the one who accidentally shot her mother in the midst of a family fight so long ago. And Lily, who's the story's narrator, she says, I sobbed and dropped straight onto my knees on the rug. It was the first time I'd ever said the words to another person, and the sound of them broke open my heart. She continues, probably one or two moments in your whole life, you'll hear a dark whispering spirit, a voice coming from the center of things. It will have blades for lips and will not stop until it speaks the one secret thing at the heart of all. Kneeling on the floor, unable to stop shuddering, I heard it plainly. It said, you are unlovable, Lily Owens, unlovable. Who could love you? Who in this world could ever love you? I sank down onto my heels, hardly aware of myself, mumbling the words out loud, I am unlovable. Now in the story, it's this moment of absolute lostness, a moment when Lily feels herself forsaken, unworthy, totally alone. And finally, August kneels down beside her, brushes back her hair, and says, you are not unlovable. And then she goes through all the people in their community and in their family who love Lily, and August says, mostly though, I want you to know, I love you. Lily, of course, doesn't accept it right away. As important as those words are, when you're convinced deep down that you are unlovable, it takes more than words to change your mind. But that whole story, from the moment that Lily meets August and her family to the very end, it's all about showing Lily that she is lovable, showering her with love. And by the end of the book, she begins to believe it and even begins to love herself. Now, here's what I want to tell you today. 
what August did for Lily in that moment in the book is the most important thing that you can do for other people in your life, most especially the people in your family. Telling them that they are lovable, telling them and then showing them that you love them, there is nothing more valuable that you can give to the people in your life. We're in week two here of our series on balance, recognizing that sometimes our lives get out of balance and the Bible has the ability to pull us back into balance to give us the resources we need to find our footing, to find our grounding, to find our way again when things seem tilted or seem stretched. Last week we talked about finding balance at work, today, family. Now, one of the great blessings of my job is that I get to know and work with so many families, so many different families. And after years of ministry, I can attest that there are very, very many different ways to be a beautiful family. So what I'm saying today is not just about households that have a mother and father uh, that live together with two or three kids. Okay, I'm talking about any kind of family relationship. Whoever it is that you claim to be your family, whether it's people that you're related to genetically or legally, whether they are your immediate family or your extended family or your far-off family or simply friends that you have chosen to make like family. Whoever are your closest and most important relationships, that's who I want you to think of when I say family today. And perhaps it's true that just as many different ways as there are to be a family, there are just as many ways for families to get off balance. When I can say that families can get out of balance, maybe something in your head pops up immediately. Maybe something in your own life or in your family's life comes to your mind. You know in your gut what it feels like for a family to be out of balance. Maybe you're there right now. But here are just a few ways that I've been thinking about it this week. I was listening to old school country music the other day on Sirius XM. I mean, like Willie's Roadhouse, like 60s and 70s. Anybody there with me? Willie's Roadhouse. All right, all right. Well, I was listening the other day, and I heard this song from the late 70s written by Dolly Parton, of course, but covered by Emmy Lou Harris, and it's called To Daddy. And in the style that only a country song can do, it describes a family out of balance from the perspective of a teenage girl describing her parents' relationship. One verse says, being took for granted was a thing that she accepted, and she didn't need those things to make her happy, and she didn't seem to notice that he didn't kiss and hold her. If she did, she never did say so to daddy. Now, it's a country song, so you can guess it does not end well, okay? But this song describes the particular pain of a marriage when people have stopped caring for one another. But getting out of balance in relationships like that, that doesn't just happen in a marriage. Neglect or growing distant from one another, that can happen between adult parents and children, between siblings, between any family relationships that were once important but then get out of whack because we don't invest in them, we don't work on them, we don't tend to them. Another way that I've been thinking about families getting out of balance is just being overloaded with activities, staying busy rather than being together. I remember once talking to a father in one of my congregations about his daughter who played soccer. And she was in middle school and she had some real talent. Her family had had her in club soccer year round for years. And the few months out of the year when she wasn't playing soccer, she was playing club volleyball. 
So as a seventh grader, she was starting to make noises that maybe she wanted a little bit of a break. And her dad told me that they had invested so much, they really wanted her to stick it out until she could play for the high school team. And I said, why is it so important for you, for your daughter to play soccer competitively? And he said, well, it keeps her out of trouble. And I didn't know what to say because this girl was like as far from a troublemaker or a risk taker or an adventure seeker as one could get. There was no way she was gonna go out and raise Cain if she had a few months without soccer practice. Now, please hear me today. I am not dogging on kids' sports. I think kids' sports are awesome. But if they burn out kids, or if they replace time spent together as a family, they can pull a family out of balance. Or another way I've been thinking about how families get out of balance is just the pressure that comes with trying to get everything done. Maybe someone working so hard that they can't be present for the rest of the family, or the pressure to give everyone the very best experiences trying to do it all. I saw a tweet this week where a woman was lamenting that she didn't rest right on what was supposed to be her Sabbath day, her day of rest. She wrote on the tweet, I didn't Sabbath correctly today. I was entirely too angry at my kids, especially one of them, and nervous. And then she asked, what if God is wrong and six days isn't enough time to complete all my work? What if I'm punished for being mad at my kids all day? Why can't I just relax? That sounds like a family that's out of balance to me. So what do we do when we find ourselves out of balance in our families in this or some other way? Well, I hope the first thing that we do is pray, that we turn and ask God first for help. And then I hope if we need it, if we search for help outside of our family, if we find our relationships fraying or our family routine becomes a struggle, I hope we reach out for help that you come talk to one of your pastors, that you find a therapist, a spiritual director, someone who can help us figure out where we are and how to get back to what we most need as a family. And today, I want to remind us that what we most need in a family, in any family, is offering one another the gift of love. And to help us remember what this deep kind of love looks like, the kind of love that's needed in a healthy and a balanced family, we helpfully have this most beautiful passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, Paul wrote this passage to a group of people who were out of balance, a family that was out of balance, actually. It wasn't a nuclear family, it was a church family, but the principles remain the same. Paul wrote these words to people who were in conflict, Their problem, or at least one of their problems, was they couldn't decide which spiritual gift was the most important. So they would gather for worship, and there was this sense of competition and fighting about who should display their gifts and how worship should go. It's as if you all got here on Sunday morning and we couldn't start church because Jenny and I were having it out in the narthex about which was more important, the choir or preaching. 
Uh, or maybe someone would butt in and say, well, I have the deep gift of prayer, and obviously prayer is most important, so we need to do that first and most. And someone else would say, well, I have the gift of caring, so let me tell you about our church members who are struggling. And someone else would say, I have the gift of storytelling, and I have the story that we need to hear today, and we just couldn't even get it together to worship because no one could concede that their contribution was not the most important. That's what was going on in Corinth. So to, to deal with this sense of competition, Paul uses chapter 12, the chapter right before the one we read today, to remind the community that each gift is important. Each gift comes from God. Each gift is meant to build up the life of the community. And then he talks to them about how, as baptized people, they're all members of one body, all part of the same Holy Spirit, and if one gift is missing, the body can't be whole. I think it's important to remember that's the context in which Paul's writing as he continues on into chapter 13. Did you know that chapter and verse headings didn't come into the Bible until the Middle Ages? They're only there for our navigational ease. Paul didn't say to himself, now for my 13th chapter, no. He just kept writing. So for him, this is one long teaching. He's writing to this community who's in trouble to help them remember how to love one another with Christian love, trying to tell them how to act as a church. So he says at the very end of chapter 12, I will show you still a more excellent way. And then we get this beautiful poem about what real, deep, holy love looks like. What we read in 1 Corinthians 13 is a meditation on what pure love looks like. This is love that doesn't have an agenda Love that doesn't have to be bought or sold. Love that gives without expecting something in return. This is the love that God has toward us. This is the love that saves us. This is the love that saves the world. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 1 Corinthians 13 shows us what's most needed in a family be it a church family or a family living under the same roof, and that is self-giving love. Nothing in the world even comes close in terms of importance in a family's life. Everything else falls second. How much money you spend, how well decorated your house is, how many activities you do or parties you throw, what kind of gifts you give to one another, how well you cook dinner every night, how hard it is that you work to provide for your family, none of that surpasses in importance to consistent, unconditional, holy love, like Paul describes. Nothing you do is more important than giving your family the message, you are lovable, I love you, and then showing it to them by living out this holy love. Now, if your family feels really well-balanced today, if you hear 1 Corinthians 13 and you think, yeah, I can name sometimes lately when I have received love like that and I have given love like that. Well, then awesome. Keep it up. What you're doing is beautiful. It honors God, and it will help change the world. 
But if your family feels a little bit out of balance today, if you can't quite remember when you have given or received love, like is described in 1 Corinthians 13, then I want to invite you to reflect on what needs to be put aside so that you can focus on growing the love that your family shares. Do you need to just spend more time together? Do you need to have some hard conversations about how the family is operating? Do you need to be honest about the way that you have not felt loved? Do you need to offer an apology about the way that you've hurt someone or offer forgiveness for the way someone has hurt you? Finding our way back to balance as a family, sometimes that is the hardest of work. But we have the unending love of God to guide us, to lead us, to protect us while we do it. And we can find our way back to balance, to a place where everyone feels loved and cherished and supported and secure. And then we will have a family that can take on the world. May God protect and bless our families. Amen.